0: Good morning, church. As we celebrate the fourth Sunday of Advent, we will light the candle of love. The arrival of Jesus is the greatest expression of love this world has ever known. He not only came to tell us about God's love, he came to demonstrate that love by dying on the cross for our sin. God sent his son to deliver us from our slavery to sin just as God had sent Moses to deliver the nation of Israel from their slavery to Egypt. And the Israelites were freed from suffering and oppression. Because of Christ, we can experience freedom from guilt and death. Moses even told his people that the ultimate deliverance would come. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, The Lord your God will raise you up, a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. This is a love worth listening to. Today we light the fourth candle of Advent, the candle of love. Please join us in praying this prayer. Dear Father, thank you for loving us enough to send your Son to deliver us from sin and death. And Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to go to the cross on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: To the halls for uh, for leading us in our advent reading this morning and thank you dana and team for uh, uh leading us in our uh quite, not quite right here oh that's down in my pocket oh that's why they have the earpiece that goes around the ear God. let me start that again way to break the mood pastor jeff So uh, thank you, Dana and team, for leading us. It's so fun to sing those Christmas carols. And uh, I was so involved in it, I totally forgot to even put my earpiece on this morning. And to the halls, thank you for leading us in our Advent reading. And uh, I I love this time of year and uh, looking forward to our Christmas Eve service. Uh, Jason kind of told you a little bit about it. Five o'clock this uh, Friday night. I hope you can come if you can bring some family and friends, invite some neighbors along, that'd be great. Love to see you here for that service on on Friday night. We're going to add in some extra chairs here, make some room, and and uh, have a service. The, the, the music will be all Christmas-oriented music, of course. And uh, Tyrone, J, uh, Dana's friend, is coming to play piano. And, and uh, we're going to have our candle lighting. And the fifth in our message on the the Christ candle and uh, Christ as our king will be the focus of our message that night. So uh, looking forward to Christmas Eve. And uh, I feel like I have to just maybe explain a little bit more. Uh, Jason was talking about if you want to give stock. Now, because we're up in a rural area, we're not accepting cows and horses. I just felt like I need to make sure you understand—not that kind of stock. So, and uh, and I did wear my Christmas tie this morning. Speaking of being in rural Georgia, someone said, "You got a, a multiple uh, point uh, buck on your shirt. You're gonna have. You better watch out. Somebody's gonna fire at you with that thing." But uh, it is a reindeer, so no no firing at the reindeer this morning. Uh, but. I love wearing my different Christmas ties. It's the only time of year I get to wear them, so I've got to pull them out for these uh, Christmas days. Um, I want to just uh, lead us in prayer, and as we pray this morning, I want to pray for our team that's down in Honduras. Uh, we mentioned that last week, but uh, Mike and Jane O'Brien and Kim Boudet are down helping at uh, Casa de Abbey. And uh, this morning, Bert got a... a request just to also pray for Karen. Michael and Karen Vincent are the couple who run Casa de Abbey down there in Honduras. And we don't have any other details, but we're going to trust God knows what's going on and that He will uh, honor our prayer for them. So let's pause, bow our heads, and let's pray for this morning. Lord, we do thank You this morning that as we sang that You are worthy of all of our praise and our glory, that You are coming again. And as we sang it from the beginning, we live in the expectation of your second coming, your second advent. And so, Lord, thank you for that hope and that expectation that you will make all things right one day. And, uh, Lord, in the meantime, you've placed us here to, to be faithful stewards and ambassadors for you, and I thank you for our team that's gone to Honduras, that's working with Michael and Karen and shining the light of Christ in that city and ministering to these precious girls who... Uh, who without that help would be lost. And so, Lord, I pray for uh, Mike and Jane, I pray for Kim, and we pray this morning especially for Michael and Karen that you would encourage them, uplift them, meet their needs, whatever may be going on, whatever their particular need is this morning, I pray that you would uh, minister to them. And for us this morning, I pray that you would speak to us too, minister to our hearts as we come together, as we uh, get into your word together. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, remind us of the, the, the meaning, the deep meanings and significance of Christmas and, and the Advent story. And so, Lord, this morning I pray, as I always do, that you would guard my words, help me to accurately, rightly communicate your truth, and uh, just that you would speak in my own frailty, my own weakness, Lord. I pray that your strength would be evident and your word would be evident. So speak your word to us by your Spirit and impact our hearts and our lives this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was Christmas morning, and a little girl of about eight years old was so excited because this particular Christmas, she was expecting, hoping for a new baby doll. And as she went to the top of the stairs, was headed down to the family room where they were going to open presents, she was sure she could smell it. You know that smell of new plastic? (laughs) That was her doll. It had to be her doll. And so she ran downstairs with all the hope and all the expectancy overflowing. And they began to open the presents that Christmas morning. And she opened one present after another, after another. There was no doll. Got to the end of the gift giving. Still no doll. But she was sure she could still smell that doll in the room. So after they were done with the presents, this little girl walked and went to the bathroom in their home, and as she got to the bathroom, the scent was even stronger. She turned on the light, and there it was, a new shower curtain. That's what she had spelled. This is a true story, by the way. This sad Christmas story is Beth's Christmas story when she was eight years old. And it just reminded me of how at Christmas time, you don't just have to be a kid, but all of us have certain hopes and expectations that move us. So maybe yours isn't for a doll. Maybe yours is for some other particular special gift this Christmas. Maybe your hope or your expectation is for your family time or friends, but the people that are going to get together this week or weekend. That's your hope. That's your expectation. Maybe it's something deeper. Maybe it's something you don't even talk a lot about. Maybe there's a hurt, a pain. You're asking for healing. Maybe for this Christmas, you're just asking God to give you direction in your life, to work through a, a difficulty in your life. Maybe that's your hope, that God will answer that prayer this Christmas. Our hopes, our expectations. As we come to our passage this morning and to back to our Our Advent series, we come with those hopes and expectations. Our series is called The Birth of the Son. We've been looking at Old Testament characters and how they prefigured Jesus and his birth and his life and his death. And as we looked at last week at the, the character of Joseph, the Old Testament character of Joseph, we saw how his life in so many ways showed us about Jesus. God used Joseph to save his family, which then became a nation, saved the whole nation of of, uh, Egypt. But years after that, remember, the, the family of Joseph grew and grew and grew, and so they became a mighty nation living there still in Egypt. And the Egyptians got a little bit worried about their strength and their size there was competition right there in their own land. And so Exodus one eleven says of the Egyptians, so they put slave masters over them, speaking of the Israelites, to oppress them with forced labor. So all of a sudden the Israelites now in this land where they'd come to for, for food and for life now turns to slavery. And so they call out in this oppression, they call out to God for deliverance. Exodus 2.23 says the Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. They desired God to, slave, to, to free them from their slavery. Their hope, their expectation was that God would free them. And so God does this. As you know, you know the story. God comes alongside in the story of Moses. He sends to them Moses as their deliverer, and if many of you I know in this service are also in the Gospel Project class in the first hour, and so for the last few weeks you've been in Exodus, right? You've been studying the life of Moses, and how he came and delivered the people. There were miraculous plagues. There was the parting of the Red Sea. They go out into the wilderness. They're crossing to the to the Promised Land, but even as they get out there and they're they're away from Egypt. There are still problems, right? As Moses leads the people, there's still rebellion going on. There's still complaining going on. There's still lack of faith that God is going to actually get them into the promised land. So though though they had been delivered from slavery, they were still slaves to their sin. And it's in that context that Moses gives them a prophetic promise. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Your phone, your device, whatever you have with you. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And again, I know this is an unusual Christmas passage, right? We've been in Genesis, we've been in Exodus, now Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. You heard this, one of the verses in this passage read in our Advent reading. So Moses is speaking to the Israelites what God has spoken to him, and he gives them a hope and an expectation, something to look forward to, something that's going to come, someone that's going to help them, more than Moses could possibly help them. So here's our passage, Deuteronomy chapter 18, start verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. And the Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. So on Mount Sinai, the background to this passage is that the Israelites had seen, remember, the fire and the smoke of God's presence on the mountain, and it scared them to death. They said, Moses, you go up there, you talk to God, we don't want any part of that. And so Moses goes up into the smoke of the fire, and he hears from God, and he brings the commandments back down the mountain, and he speaks the words of God to the people. But now as Moses is preparing to die, he tells the people, God's going to give you another spokesman. But who is he talking about? This is God talking about their next leader. We know Joshua came next. So Joshua certainly a spokesperson for God. Joshua led them into the promised land. They conquered the land. But as you also know, if you know the books of Joshua and, and Judges, it didn't reach the people fully. It didn't deliver their hearts. They still turned away from God. Well, was Moses then talking about the Jewish prophets that would be yet to come? Would they be the ones who would deliver the people ultimately? Well, they certainly spoke for God, but they could not deliver the people completely from themselves or from their sin. So who is Moses expecting in this passage? Who, who were they waiting for? Who were they hoping for? Who would come to deliver them? This promise from Moses from God through Moses, is about Jesus. This is a promise that Jesus would come as the ultimate, final, perfect deliverer. And Notice that the correlations here. Verse 15 says he would come from among the Israelites. Jesus was born as an Israelite, as a Jew. Verse 18, he would speak God's words to the people. That's exactly what Jesus came to do, is to bring God's word to the people. In fact, John tells us that Jesus came as the very Word of God. He gives him that name, Word of God. Look at a couple passages from John. John, as you remember, doesn't give us the birth narrative. Instead, John gives us a theological narrative and introduction to Jesus. He says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John 1.14. And then John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. And remember here, this is important because the Israelites didn't want to see God. They didn't want any part of that to get close to that. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus came in fulfillment of Moses' prophecy, and he came as the personal spokesperson from God, bringing the very Word of God, and he came to them in a form that they could relate to. It wasn't frightening fire and smoke on a mountain. He came as a human being. That's the beauty and the miracle of the incarnation. And that's what John was talking about in John 1. Now, in case you need more biblical proof that Jesus was this prophet like Moses that Moses had prophesied about, Peter makes the connection for us in Acts chapter 3. If you can remember back to the summer when we were in those early chapters of the book of Acts and our series there. Peter, after they heal the lame man, Peter and John, are in the temple. And Peter makes this statement to the the Jews gathered in the temple. He connects Jesus to this promise of Abraham. So here's our passage. We'll put it up on the screen here from Acts chapter 3. Peter says this, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he says. Peter is quoting this passage in Deuteronomy 18, and he's connecting it to Jesus. God sent His Son to communicate His love to us in person. We lit this morning the candle, the Advent candle of love. This is the full expression of God's love, that He would send His word in the form of His Son. So this morning, I want us to think about two questions related to this passage in Deuteronomy. First is this, how was Jesus like Moses we want to see the parallels there. How was he a prophet like Moses? But then secondly, how did Jesus go beyond what Moses could do? Because we've already been seeing that Jesus did what Moses could not do. So what does that look like? Here's our first question. How was Jesus like Moses? Well, the most profound answer to this question is what we've already said, that Jesus was flesh and blood like Moses. He came in human form. The incarnation is exactly what we celebrate at Christmas. Christmas. God made flesh. But there are some other parallels that show us these amazing similarities. So if you read the insight last week in my little blurb about today's sermon, you saw some of that there. If you read it on the churchwide email yesterday, you saw it. But let me give you a little bit more even than that and take you back and remind you of these similarities between Moses and Jesus. We'll put them up on the screen here. First thing is that Moses was born to a poor family living in slavery. They were there in Egypt, poor family. In slavery, Jesus is born to a poor family living under Roman rule, so a different kind of slavery. Moses' life was threatened by Pharaoh, who attempted to kill all the male Israelite babies. You remember that? When Moses is born, Pharaoh's already put the word out, kill all the male children. They're trying to keep the population down in this this nation of Israel. Moses faces that threat as a baby. Jesus, of course, faces the threat of Herod, who attempted to kill all the male babies in Bethlehem. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that story come Friday night and and Sunday. Moses was saved by being put in a basket in a river and rescued by Pharaoh's own daughter. I've always loved the irony of that. Pharaoh puts out the word to kill the babies. His daughter finds baby Moses and raises him right there in the palace. Jesus is saved as well by Mary and Joseph taking him from Bethlehem to, of all places, Egypt. Moses lives as a refugee in Midian. Jesus, as a baby, lived as a refugee in Egypt. Moses left the palace to become a shepherd out at Midian. Jesus left his throne in heaven to come to earth as a servant. Moses was resisted by his own people when he tried to deliver them. Jesus was rejected by his own people when he came to save them. And Moses became Israel's deliverer. Jesus became our Savior. Finally, I put in this, this as well because the end is interesting too. Moses, remember, goes up on the mountain and he's not seen again. The text tells us that God, he died and God buried him and nobody knew where. In Jesus' case, men buried him and God raised him. So in so many ways, Jesus came to earth as a prophet like Moses but there are also significant ways that Jesus went beyond anything that Moses did or could have done. And so this morning I want to look through some of these, some of these answers and answer the, answer the question, "How did Jesus go beyond Moses? And, and I give you three distinct ways that Jesus came in, in a bigger and greater and better way to accomplish the similar things that Moses did, but to do it in mass. Here's number one: Jesus frees me from all forms of slavery. And by the way, I have made this in first person singular because I want us to personalize these points. I want you to see that what Jesus did for you. Jesus frees me from all forms of slavery. So yes, Moses is remembered and celebrated as the one who delivered Israel from slavery, right, in Egypt. But Jesus is able to deliver us from all forms of slavery to free us, Romans Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And Paul just spells it right out there. He says, Jesus Christ came to free you from all that. And this is really a significant difference to, to Mark here, because Moses came to, and he brought to the people the law. And they needed the law. We need the law to be able to see what, what God's standard is, to see that we fall short of his perfection. And the law shows us that. It points out our sin. Jesus came bringing the Spirit who is able to free us from our sin, from the slavery to the law. And so Jesus comes in fulfillment of that law, bringing the Spirit to us. And this translates in so many ways, this this type of freedom, that Jesus can free us from all these different enslavements. I made a little list here, but this could, the list could go beyond. You could put anything on this list that, you, that you're struggling with. Enslavement to food, to immorality, to alcohol, to drugs, to work, to pleasure, pride, hypocrisy, anxiety, anger, you name it, fill in the blank. Whatever it is that holds us down, that has us in bondage in our lives, that's what Jesus came for. That's what he came to free us of. But here's the trick. Is the, the difficulty in this is just like for the children of Israel, they had to admit that they were slaves, that they had to acknowledge that they were under this bondage, and they had to call out and ask God for help. And it's in that pleading, as we saw back in Exodus, that Jesus answers, that God answers this and sends them deliverance through Moses. So the same for us. We need to admit to our enslavement, admit to our struggles, admit to our sin, and seek God for deliverance. Because if we don't acknowledge our slavery, then we won't seek Jesus for our freedom. Uh, last Sunday night, uh, Beth and I took our two little grandsons who live with their family down in Marietta to a live nativity. I think it was the first time they'd ever been and. The four-year-old especially was just fascinated. So we pulled up to the church, and we got there early, so we were kind of first in line. It's a drive-through nativity. So we parked the car, and we're waiting for them to open the gates of Bethlehem, which is actually the back part of the parking lot of the church. And we could see through the gates as they were getting ready back there. We're waiting to drive through, and we could see all the church people in there putting their costumes on, and they're getting settled, and their little sets and scenes that are around the drive-through area. And I could see one little boy dressed probably as a shepherd— something like that and, and he has at the, has a rope in his hand and the other end of the rope is a goat and that goat did not get the memo. He did not want to be in the live nativity scene. So he's, he's pulling, he's jumping up and down, he's trying to get free of this little boy and the rope that's around his neck. I thought only if we only had that same kind of desire to get free from the things in our lives, the sin issues that are ropes around our necks. A lot of times we ignore them or we won't admit them. We won't acknowledge them. We hide them. And yet it's the very thing that's holding us back. And the reminder here in this passage is just like the Israelites. We need to admit we're, in, we're enslaved, God. We need freedom. We need your work in our lives to free us. Are you desperate enough for that? Will you ask the Lord Jesus to deliver you? Maybe this Christmas, that's, a, that's one of, an important prayer. It's not one we would normally think of with Christmas time, but it may be asking God to help us as the only one who can set us free. And that really leads to our second point, very much connected to it. Number two, Jesus saves me from my sin. So I may have slavery to all these other things in my life that, that are holding me back, but ultimately the problem is my sin. And yes, Moses came to save the Israelites. He saved them from Pharaoh. He saved them from probably what was going to be death at the hands of Pharaoh and their slavery. But Jesus came to save us from our sin and from the penalty of death. The salvation that Jesus brings is not temporary. It's eternal. And in this way, it's so much greater than what Moses had to give from his very birth, Jesus was destined to be our Savior. Now, sometimes we just kind of throw that into our Christmas verbiage, but we don't stop to think about it. So this morning, I want us to think about this. Remember, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. It's just the beginning of the Christmas story. He comes to Mary and tells her this in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. The name Jesus means the Lord saves so the angel's very specific telling Mary, you got to give him this name because he's going to save. In fact, just to be clear, the angel says it to Joseph as well. Make sure the both parents are going to have the same idea for the same name, no arguments about how we're going to what we're going to name this child. That, that this is in Matthew chapter 1. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And the angel explains it because he will save his people from their sins. And even the shepherds outside Bethlehem got the same news too. Again, we read right over this, but in Luke 2.11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This prophet like Moses would be the Savior, the Deliverer, the one who would do ultimately what Moses could not do for the people. Who are you looking to as your Savior today? Now, I I know our, our church or Sunday school answer is, Jesus is my Savior. But is that what you're living Maybe, and because I know in some cases this happens to us, maybe you're expecting a, a child or a parent or your spouse to be the one who makes your life good, makes it right. You're asking that person to be your Savior in a way they can't be. Or maybe you're hoping that your friends or your boss or your coworkers will give you the recognition you desire and in that way be your Savior's. Won't happen. Maybe you're counting on a doctor or a therapist or a counselor to give you the quality of life that you desire. And in that way, you're looking to that person to be your savior in a way they cannot be. Or maybe you think or are trying to be the savior yourself. That happens to a lot of us. We try to save our family or our friends. We got to be the one who is the deliverer, the prophet like Moses. I'm going to help everybody else. I'm going to change everybody else's life. There's only one Savior. There's only one Deliverer. It's Jesus himself. The only way we can help others is by pointing them to him. There's only one Deliverer who's greater than Moses who can save us from our sin, save us from Satan, save us from death. Peter says it in the book of Acts. Go back again to our Acts study, Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The only salvation is through Jesus. If you've been reading through this Christmas devotional book that we handed out a couple weeks ago, The Tidings of Comfort and Joy, um, hope that you're getting something out of those readings day to day. And if you're reading this, then this past week on December 15th, you read about Fish for Christmas. That was the title of the devotional that day. And very unusual title, so I read it kind of wondered, what is he talking about? And if you watched our video that Beth and I sent out yesterday, you saw us having a little fun with Fish for Christmas. Well, the author is saying to us, suggesting that we look for a fish to either give to somebody or as an ornament to put on your tree. We didn't have a fish on our tree. So actually I did what I told you in the video I would do. I went to Hobby Lobby and looked for a fish ornament for our tree. So this is the closest I found. I took a couple pictures. I didn't buy this, but I just took a picture in Hobby Lobby of it. So this is actually a dolphin. Well, that's pretty... Cool, the dolphin ornament. I've never seen one of those before, but it's not really what the author had in mind here. It's not a fish that he means, a fish. I found one other one. This is probably even less likely. I think this is a narwhal, which, which I used to think those things were were pretend. They're actually real creatures. They live up in the Arctic Ocean somewhere. But that's not what he means either. That's not the fish. It's a different kind of fish. An ichthys is the Greek word for fish. So look at this next slide. And if you read the chapter, you got all this, okay? So you've seen this before, the fish symbol. This has been a symbol of Christianity throughout all of church history. This goes back to ancient times, back to the Greek, Greek letters and Greek words. And so it's an acrostic. Ichthus is an acrostic. Each letter represents a name of Jesus. So the I, which would be like our I, Isus, is the Greek word for Jesus. The K sound Christos is Christ, the T-H sound, Theos, is God, the A-U uh, sound is for the Son, S is for Sotir, Savior, Ichthus stands for these names of Jesus. And so this is why the author suggests you need this fish on your Christmas tree because it's a description of Jesus, Christ, God, Son, and Savior, the one and only Savior saves us from our sins. The third point really focuses on our response. Jesus deserves my obedience. So, yes, the Israelites should have listened to Moses. They should have listened to Joshua. They should have listened to their prophets. They didn't. They paid the price, and Moses knew this was a problem. He knew they were hard of hearing And so Moses says in Deuteronomy 18.15, let me take you back to that verse again, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. What does Moses say? You must listen to him. Moses knew that would be our greatest need is to listen to this one that God would send. And knowing now that the prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus, Moses is telling us, listen to Jesus. He's your ultimate deliverer, your ultimate savior. Listen to him. And, of course, in the Bible, when it talks about listening, it doesn't just mean something that goes in one ear and out the other ear. It means to hear and obey, to listen and respond. So why does, why does Moses say this? Now, catch this. This is so important. This, the, right back to our text in Deuteronomy 18. Jesus came as the spokesperson. Remember, that's what the people needed. They needed someone to bring the word of God to them. And Moses was that one temporarily, temporarily, The prophets were ones temporarily, but ultimately the word from God had to come through Jesus, his son. That's the only way we could fully understand God's message of salvation. It's the only way we could fully understand his love for us. Last part of verse 18 also says, I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. So yes, Jesus came to save us from our slavery, to save us from our sin, But our response must be to listen to Him. We won't find our salvation or our deliverance in Him if we're not listening to Him. Obedience is the pathway to freedom. Look what Paul says in Romans 6.17. We'll put this on the screen as well. Paul says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Here's the truth for Christmas, friends. Jesus was born to be your Savior. He was born to be your Deliverer. The question is, have you put your faith in Him? Are you listening to Him? Are you living in obedience to Him on a daily basis? One of our favorite traditions in our house especially when our kids were young and growing up is we would do scavenger hunt gifts so what that meant is that the kids would open a gift and instead of finding the gift inside when they opened the box they'd find a little poem from dad which was a clue as to where to go look in the house and the kids loved this they'd get all excited jump up and down and they'd look at the clue try to figure it out and then they'd follow the instructions on that clue And if they did, if they followed the instructions, if they listened to it, they would go to another place outside or inside the house somewhere, they'd find another clue, and that would lead them to another clue, sometimes five or six clues, taking them running all over the house, and I'm here with the video camera, you know, following them around, it's all the excitement and the hollering and screaming. And if they followed the instructions, if they listened, they would find their gift. God has given us a great gift in his son, Jesus. He's given us a great gift in his word, his revelation to us. But if we don't listen to him, if we don't read the word, then we miss out on the gift. That's why Moses says, and he prophesies about Jesus, you've got to listen to him. He's come as your savior. He's come as your deliverer. Don't miss what he has for you. Are you obeying the word of the prophet like Moses and what he's spoken to you today? The writer of Hebrews has a really great summary for this message. I hadn't even thought about this passage until this past week. Beth and I, as I've told you, are reading through the Bible in a year. So we're getting near the end. We're in the book of Hebrews. And I think it was Friday. I listened to this passage. I read this passage, and I realized The writer of Hebrews is talking about Moses and Jesus. And so I plug this in and share this with you at the close today. Hebrews 3, 5, and 6. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Moses told us about what was coming. He told us about Jesus. We need to hold firmly to what Jesus has said, what he has done for us. He's our deliverer. I'm going to close the message today by asking Dana and the team to come on up to the stage, and they're going to sing a song for you. It's an Andrew Peterson song. Our Staff was meeting on Monday, and I was talking about the message for today, and Jason said, hey, I, I think of this great song that Andrew Peterson did on his Christmas album. And at first glance, it doesn't sound like a Christmas song, but if you will listen to the team bring this music and watch the words on the screen, you'll see how this is exactly what we've talked about in our Deuteronomy passage today. The people of Israel were delivered by Moses, but all the delivering from Egypt All the laws, all the sacrifices were not enough. It all pointed to Jesus, who would be the ultimate deliverer, the ultimate Savior, the one they really needed. So their cry this morning is our cry too. Lord, deliver us.
2: is no Pharaoh on the Nile. Our toil is neither mud nor brick nor sand. Our ankles bear no calluses from change, yet, Lord, we bow bound. Imprisoned here. We dwell in our own land. Deliver us, deliver us, O oh Yahweh, hear our cry, and gather us beneath your way. All the lambs we slay, our shackles they were made with our own hands. Our toil is our atonement, and our freedom yours to give. So, Yahweh, break this silence. You can deliver us, deliver us, O oh, Yahweh, hear our cry, and gather us beneath your wings tonight.